Canon Capital Advantage Tutoring. It's my job to get you past the 63, the 65, the 66, all the exams. I'm trying to go through a full playlist now. In order, we're doing broker dealers now. We'll do IAs. If I, I might even do IAs on this one, depending how long it takes or how bored I get. Um, I think my playlist is pretty solid for this, but it's a little ad hoc, like all over the place. So I'm going to try to create a timeline one, and we'll go from there. Let's see how it goes. This one's going to be about what is a broker-dealer, what is an agent, how do they register on the state level, stuff like that. Now, I'm going to try to give information all around, not just for the for the exam, but we're going to make sure that we you come out of this video knowing what you need to know for the exam about broker-dealers and agents. And depending, if you see that I start on the IA after, then it's a bonus, right? Good stuff. So let's start with this. What is a broker-dealer? What's a broker-dealer? A broker-dealer, not an agent, a broker-dealer is a firm. Remember that. A broker-dealer is a firm. It's an entity. It's it's that. It's an entity that affects transactions, means executes transactions in securities. Now, as a business, okay, so if you do it, as you're, if you're trading in your Schwab account or whatever, you're not a broker-dealer because you're not, you're not a firm anyway. But that's not the same thing. It's for the account for themselves or others as a business. So you're trading as a business. Now remember, it's a firm that executes it. On this exam, if you see execute transactions, 99% of the time, it's a broker-dealer. If you see give advice or make recommendations, even though broker-dealers can make recommendations, pretty much if they say make recommendations, they're talking about investment advisors. So some of the questions you're going to get is, how do they get paid? Well, they can get commissions if they act as an agent in an agent capacity. So what's an agent capacity? That means they're acting as a middleman. They're not using their own principal. They're not using their own money. None of that stuff. They're like, when you go to buy a house, you hire an agent, a real a realtor to find the house for you. They find a seller for you. You don't buy it from the realtor. You buy it from the person they find. I want to buy a house. This is my range. They find a house for you. They find a seller. And then they just meet you up and then they do the middle and then they charge a commission. That's an agency transaction. That's one way. That's the broker. So remember, ABC, agent, broker, commission. Now, the other one is if they act as a principal, they can get marked up and marked down. So that's if they act as a principal, they're using their own inventory. So if you to go, if you go to buy shares at 40, they're going to sell it to you at 40 and add a little markup. Kind of like when you go to a restaurant and you buy a bottle of wine, you know, they bought the bottle of wine for like five bucks and they're charging you like 15 or 20. That's a markup. Okay. So you're buying from their inventory of wines. Well, same thing. When you buy shares in a principal, when the broker dealer acts as a principal, which is a dealer, you're, they're charging you a markup. They're gonna, you're going to buy it at a price and they're going to mark it up by max of 5%. That's a guideline. And if you sell it, they're going to buy it from you. So the other side, right? So they're going to sell it to you and charge a markdown, which means if you sell it at 40, they're going to pay you like 39.50 or 39, which is you're selling it at 40 minus a markdown of a dollar. So when you buy it, they, you, they buy it at the ask, they charge a markup. When you sell it, you sell it at the bid and you pay a mark down. So they're going to reduce what you get when you sell it, and they're going to increase what you pay when you buy it with a markup or a markdown. If you see the broker-dealer sold you, or you see in the in the confirmation, can think of the word, Jesus. Um, if you see in the confirmation, we sold you, or they say we sold to you, or we bought from you, that means the broker-dealer bought it from you, or the broker-dealer sold it to you, and that means it's a markup or a markdown. They can get fees for other things, right? So for like investment banking and stuff, it's not really a commission, but it's fees for doing a transaction. So that's another way they can get paid. They cannot get paid for advice, okay? That's the thing. Broker dealers cannot get paid for advice. You have to do a transaction. Now, 
Do broker dealers give advice? Of course they do. They call you up and say, hey, buy this, buy that, buy this, buy Tesla, buy whatever, sell NVIDIA. They give you advice. You can't pay them for that. The only way they get paid is if you do the transaction. If you call, if I call you up and say, hey, Johnny, buy some, you know, buy some Tesla here. And you go, nah, I don't get paid. But once you go, yes, I'll buy it, then I can get paid for it. Because I'm going to charge you a commission. I think that works. What happens if they do start charging for advice, right? So if they start charging for advice or doing wrap fees or charging for financial planning, they are now into the investment advisor realm and they have to, and what will ha they will have to do is they will have to, I look like I'm asleep when I take my stupid glasses off. Never wore glasses for the longest time. And now that I've been wearing them, when I take them off, I'm like, boy, I look like I sleep or it's just blurry and I can't see shit. So anyway, so if a broker dealer starts charging for the advice or for wrap fees or for, uh, for financial planning, they fall into the investment advisor route. Then they have to register as an investment advisor as a separate firm. That's the only way it works. They can't charge fees for transactions. There's got to be a way for us to make money from giving advice or giving our research without getting paid for it. Hmm. So instead of getting paid hard cash, we're going to get soft dollars. Okay. Soft dollars. Okay. Is like a loophole around the no pay for advice thing. So like a bro, like an agent can't or a broker dealer cannot sell your research they can just give it to you and hope you give them business an ia can actually sell the research they can say listen you're paying for the research that's what you're paying for the advice or the management so the broker dealer can do what they call a soft dollar transaction where now they can almost do anything but the ones that are safe are what you call safe harbor safe harbor rules or guidelines are like if you follow these guidelines you're safe from being sued or getting in trouble. You can do other things, but you may be at risk. If you do these things, you're fine. So one of them is we can actually give you research. Now I'll explain the whole process in a second. We can give you research, okay? We can give you research, fine. We can pay for tickets to a seminar, not the travel, but the actual seminar or convention that helps you in, uh, invest or for your customers. Or we can do for software, again, that helps you invest. Not accounting software, not compliance software, basically investing software. Like in reality, I guess you could say a Bloomberg, okay? That helps you invest. That gives you access to stuff. So we can chart, we can sell that to you and charge you, but you can't pay us directly. That's the interesting part. You cannot pay us directly because that would be paying for advice or non-transaction compensation because that's what commissions and markup are. They're called transaction-based compensation. Well, this would not be a transaction. This is me giving you something. So what we do is we change it up. You're still going to pay us commissions, but here's what we do. I normally charge you one penny a share. Boom, charge you a penny. That's it. That's every time you do a trade, I charge you a penny, whatever it is. But now I give you research. So I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to charge you two cents a share. Fair. It's an agreement. We're good. Now that extra penny is going to go toward what you owe me for the research. And then the other penny goes into my pocket. So I'm going to charge you a higher commission to cover the cost of either the seminar or the software or the research. And what happens is to keep you going, keep giving me business, I am going to keep going ongoing basis of giving you stuff so you keep doing, keep sending me business. Now, if you don't send me any business, I can't get paid. So it's only based on you're, you're going to send me an order and normally I charge you a penny. Now I charge you two. The extra penny goes toward the fee that you owe me. Pretty easy. It's like a loophole around the advice thing, but it is legal as long as you document it. It's totally legal. It's as long as it's fully documented and you have tra track record and you only do certain things for it, you're in good shape. Like a different example of this was that when I, when I was running a firm, they came to us and said, listen, if you do 
50 grand a year in commissions with us, okay? If you do 50, I think it's 50, you get a certain level of stuff. If you do 100, you get access. So what they said was, if you do 100,000 a year in commission business with us, Merrill Lynch, they said, we will give you access to all our research. So that was a trade-off. If you do the business, we give you access. It's kind of an off-center of soft dollar, but it's the same idea that you do business with us and we'll give you this. They can't charge with the research, right? Unless they're an IA. That should help a little bit. Okay, so what's not a broker dealer? So this is kind of consistent. Remember, banks and issuers are never anything. Banks are like freaking ghosts on the state level. But you got agents are not because they're individuals. Issuers are not because they're issuers. Banks, saving institutions, trust companies, literally the same thing. They are not broker dealers. Now we'll get into when you would have to register, but those are excluded from the definition. Excluded means that you do not meet the definition of a broker dealer. You're an agent, you're an issuer, or a, a bank. Pretty much those are the major exclusions. Yeah, another exclusion they build into that you don't always have to, broker dealers don't always have to register. The other one is, is if the broker dealer doesn't have an office in the state and zero retail clients, even if they have one retail client, they have to register. But if they have no office and no retail client, they don't have to register. Hmm. No office, no retail, no register. I like that. No office, no retail, no register. But if they even have one retail client or a single place of business in the state, then they would absolutely have to register. But what does that mean? What does it mean to register? So, okay. So broker dealers have to register at the SEC level, FINRA level, which you should know by now, because hopefully you took either the six or the seven, uh, and state levels where they do business, which is if they have an office or any retail clients. Institutional. So if they have institutional and an office, they have to register. If they have institutional and no office, they don't have to register. Again, no office, no retail, no register. But the process is you're registering with the administrator. NASA kind of writes a bunch of rules and the states choose which ones they want, okay? But you're registering with the administrator. You're not registering with NASA or, yeah, you're not registering with NASA. You are registering with SEC, FINRA, and any state that you're doing business in, not NASA. Now, they're not going to go too deep into it. I'm going to go through a little deeper than you need, probably, but just so you get the big picture. When you apply, use a form BD, broker-dealer, form broker-dealer. That's the same one you use for the SEC and FINRA. So what happens is you register the SEC, FINRA, SEC, then FINRA, then the state. So when you go to apply to a state, you'll plug in, oh, Alabama and Louisiana. You'll click them. That application will automatically, in the CRD system, which is where you file it electronically, go to um, the states. Now, there are some states that don't do electronic yet. Don't worry about it. Not your fucking problem. Okay. Not your problem. So now you file the form BD and it's going to list a lot of stuff like, um, it's going to put the, then when they say applicant or registrant, in this case, they mean the firm. When it's an agent, they mean the individual. They want to know the, na the name of the firm and any doing business as other names it's under where they are, the financial condition and history. Now that's only for broker dealers and IAs. Firms have to do financial condition in the history. Agents and IARs do not. Um, Basically, what kind of business we're going to do? Do we have any convictions of any kind of convictions of misdemeanors, securities related misdemeanors, and any kind of felony? Those convictions would statutory disqualify us. But we will have to even disclose any of the charges. So even if we're charged of any of those things, we have to disclose it. The convicted would kick us out, but we still have to disclose any felony charge or any misdemeanor that is about taking of money, um, securities related, stuff like that. Any kind of unsatisfied liens or judgments against the registrant. See, 
any settlements of more than 15 grand, customer complaints, civil litig litigation, stuff like that. Whether we've ever been denied by a bonding company. Now, a bonding company is when they take out like a fidelity bond for you. They look at, most big firms don't have to worry about it, but a bonding thing is that they're going to back the legal end, like back you against fraud. And if they think you're too risky, they're going to go, nope, we're not doing it. Now, we're also going to list what, who our officers, partners, officers, directors are, any of the principals. Now, those people get um, automatically registered. That doesn't mean they get a free pass, okay? They get automatically registered, which means they do not do a separate registration. If they're denied, they're not denied. I worked for a firm where our CFO was actually not allowed to be in Nevada. Now, we fixed it, but it held everything up for a little bit because we had to carve him out of everything and say he can't be a supervisor in Nevada until we fix it. It was something from 10 years before. It was it was a mistake. But according to them, he couldn't register there. So we fixed it. But he still was in part, part of the Form BD because it's automatic, but it's not an automatic pass. You're just automatically in the process. Now, once you file that, the administrator will usually come up with an answer within 30 days. That's the number, noon on the 30th day, right? Well, if they they have to give you a response by that, the normally, no, 90% of the time, 99% of the time, it's done way quicker. But if they have an issue or a question, they have to bring it up within the 30 days or they have to, it's because there's a problem. Because if they don't say anything by noon on the 30th day, you're allowed to assume that you're registered. So if they have an issue with it, they should say it before then. Now, there are limits that if they don't, if you disclose everything that, and maybe something they would have disqualified you for, but they don't. Once you're registered, I think it's for 90 days. It's not really testable. Once you're for 90 days, they can't come back and go, oh, by the way, we missed that. We're coming after you. Once you're in there for probably 90 days, you're probably good to go unless you unless you didn't disclose it. So make sure you disclose everything. Now, you may hear me refer to a firm, entity, or a person. So a person can be any, and I think I've covered this in my directions video, uh, directions and definitions video. I couldn't think of the word. So you're getting old, don't get old people. So a person, it could be a firm or an individual. Usually I'll try to say natural person when I mean an individual, and I'll just say a person when I mean firm. But whenever you see the word person, don't automatically think that it means an individual. It absolutely could mean a firm. Along with your filing for both agents and broker-dealers, you will fill out what they call a consent to service of process. It's not a big deal, but it's basically you're allowing yourself to be served. If you remember it, you see the movies where it goes, your name, Ken Finnan. Yes, well, you've been served. Whenever you sue someone, you have to actually prove that you've notified them with service process serving, okay? So they have to track you and make sure that they have a record of you getting this service, okay? Subpoena, whatever it is. So sometimes if I'm in Jersey and you're in California and I want to file a complaint against you or sue you, I'm not going to fly to California or hire someone there. I, if you're registered, whatever whatever state you're registered in, I can serve that administrator and it's considered serving you. So that's what consent to service or process is. They try to say, act like an attorney. It's not really, it's literally that they can accept legal papers on your behalf and it's considered served. So the administrator, what can the administrator do? They can suspend, deny, revoke. They can deny you. One of the things they can defend, de deny you for, can the other word, it's happening a lot. Uh-oh, I'm done. Okay. Um, I'm going to do a lot of videos now before my brain goes to mush. They can deny, I was going to say defending it. They can deny you for lack of knowledge, not lack of experience. Okay. Lack of experience isn't, isn't a reason by itself. 
but lack of knowledge is. And that's why you have to take these exams to prove you have the knowledge. In reality, it's never going to work. But it, technically, if you could prove to the administrator that you have enough knowledge, they could waive it. Okay, They're not going to. Don't go into the administrator's office and say, Ken told me you can give me a little oral quiz and go there. No. Okay. Can't do it. Okay. It's not going to happen. Technically, they don't have to do the test, but they've all subscribed under the USA to allow the 63, the 65, and the 66 to, to act as a proof of knowledge, which is kind of crazy. Because think about it. There's a lot of people who get a 73 or a 72 and pass, and they move on, and people miss it by one question, and then they miss it three times, and they, they lose their jobs. It's tough. Another thing they may require is what they call the surety bond. The surety bond is a bond, like, again, like a bail bondsman, where you pay $500, okay, to an insurance company, and they will guarantee a $35,000 payment. It's to cover legal costs and legal issues, okay? Again, it's not that much. It's thirty five grand. They can waive it if your firm is big enough. If they can show that your net worth or net cap, net worth for IAs, net capital for broker-dealers, if they can prove that, that your net capital is high enough, then they may waive it going, yeah, we know they have the money. But a surety bond would be required for broker-dealers, IAs, and agents if they have custody. Now, what's custody? Custody is really just having ownership of the of your, your money or your securities. So if I have full discretion, which I just did a video on that, if you have full discretion, that's custody. Limited discretion isn't, because remember, limited means you can't touch the money. You can just do trades, so it's not custody. If you're named as a trustee on the account, that's custody. If you accept checks and don't forward or return cash to a third party and don't forward or return it within three days, that's custody. Now, for advisors, which isn't here, if you accept prepaid legal fees of $500 or more six months in advance, not for the next six months, six months in advance of so $500 or more, then that will be custody. There's a couple other things. Oh, if if you send statements to the customer versus the broker-dealer, ah, the broker-dealer, you have custody. So in reality, I try to always think, unless it's like an introducing broker-dealer, broker-dealers are kind of assumed to have custody because they send the statements out. They do, they hold the money, stuff like that. So I always assume a broker-dealer has custody unless they say otherwise it makes it easier. But again, you only have to do a surety bond if you have custody. If you don't have custody, no surety bond is required because it's literally just for that. Now, you're going to register and you, you have 30 days to register. This, and this is for broker-dealers and agents. Okay, you register. Again, like I told you, it's 30 days after. It always expires on December 31st no matter when you do it. So if you register on December 10th, it's going to expire 21 days later. You have to re-up. So again, I was, I'm still bitter about something. I worked at a firm called Westpac. About 15 people were going to coming in from Australia end of December, like December 25th or something. 15 people, and they all had their licenses. They were going to register them with their firm. And I said, wait a second, why don't you just wait till January? They, they went back and forth and they, they did it. Because I said, look, one, they're, they're, they're Australian, not going to do anything the last couple of weeks of December. They're off on vacation. It's like summer. So they're not going to do anything. And just wait till December, to January 1, do it one. You only have to pay one fee. They did it. They saved money. Do I get credit for it? No, I got nothing. But make sure we know, no matter when you register, it ends on December 31st. And yep, that's when it expires. And there's no such thing as prorated. So if you, if you file end of December, you're paying the full year's fees for the previous year. And, and it ends on the 31st. Now let's go quickly over the forms you need. So if it's a broker dealer, they use a form BD. 
And when you leave, it's a BDW. So remember, you can leave. The firm can leave the state too. So I have an example. So when I was at, again, Westpac, we were, we had a broker dealer in Ohio because we had no office, but we had hedge fund clients. And Ohio at the time didn't consider hedge funds as institutions, so they were considered non-institutional. So we had to register. Right around, the, I think it was around October, they changed the rules saying hedge funds and money managers are institutions, so we pulled out. Eh, sorry. Um, doesn't always work. So we pulled out. And we filed the BDW, but you only pulled out for that state. So that's called a partial BDW. A full is you shut down your firm. So a BDW is when you shut down or you leave a firm, you leave a state or something like that. If it's a full BDW, you're shutting down your firm. If it's a partial, then it's just going to be like that state. So when an agent registers, they use a U4. And when they leave, it's a U5. Now, it's interesting. And we're going to go more into the agent stuff, but these are all good stuff. So when you started a firm, your, it's your responsibility to make sure that the state knows. So the the actual actual technical, what really happens is not the way it is, but testing-wise, you have to know. If you work at a firm, you file the U4, you're in there. When you leave, you, you they file a U5 within 30 days. And if you just say, say you leave J.P. Morgan and go to Edwards, right? J Edward Jones. You're going to leave. J.P. Morgan has to tell the state. You have, you have to tell the state, but that's really you just making sure the U5 is filed. And then when you started Edward Jones, you have to fill out the U4, and so does Edward Jones. So when an agent leaves or goes in, both the firm and the agent have to let the administrator know. Now, again, the agent doesn't really do it. They just make sure the firm did it. So if you leave one firm to another, there's, there's basically four notifications. The firm saying you left, you saying you left, you saying you started at a new firm and the firm saying you started there. So all of them do it. Now let's jump to the next one. That's U4 and U5. Investor and advisor uses form ADV to register, ADVW to leave. And investor and advisor rep also uses a U4 to register and a U5 to leave. Now, when a broker dealer is registered, they have a net capital requirement. That's like equity, okay? It's basically the liquid net worth of a firm. They There are requirements. And basically, SEC sets requirements requirements the administrator cannot set requirements higher than the sec they're not going to do lower so literally the sec sets the requirements and we if you know that's like you know there's a five thousand dollar bd because you do this it's a hundred thousand dollar bd because you do that it's 250 or prime you're not going to get questioned on this but the sec determines your net cap requirements based on what you're doing whether you're taking positions or whatever your actions are as a broker dealer they base it on that so the SEC is going to set that. The administrator just goes, hey, we're going to use the same number. If you are registered in a state, all advertising, sales literature, and written materials, like pamphlets, circulars, form letters, all that stuff to be distributed must be filed with the administrator, unless it's an exempt security, an exempt transaction, or federal covered securities. If it's an exempt security, an exempt transaction, or a federal covered security, you do not have to file. Okay. Ongoing. So now... Broker-dealers have initial financial requirements, and they will have to keep up maintenance ones. Like they have to basically keep up making either 10, not 10 Qs. They have to do focus reports or annual reports or balance sheets. They have they have an ongoing financial requirement for broker-dealers, not agents, okay? They have record-keeping requirements. And remember, the first two years of any record has to be kept readily accessible. So, you know, the, if you remember from the FINRA, like almost everything's three years. Complaints are for uh, blotters, general ledgers, stock records, and customer statements. Customer information and statements are six years. And anything due to the form in the company's lifetime. Plus, everything's held two years. 
and readily accessible. Also, remember, after the firm shuts down, it's three years after that, because that's what the statute of limitations is. So all lifetime records are a lifetime plus three years. Okay. Let me add one thing to this. So we're going to jump to agents in a second. But broker-dealers, you have to register in any state we do business in, right? We're good. Now, if one of your clients is visiting another state, temporary there, you will not, the broker deal would not have to register there, okay? So if they're on vacation, they do not have to register there. But I'm going to add one more thing in here. So now, what about Canadian broker dealers? So there's broker dealers and Canadians. If their clients move here, they got to register. But if their clients visit here, they do what they call a limited registration, which is really just filing paperwork. You're not really registering. It's more like notice filing than anything else. So I say they don't have to register. So if you're a Canadian broker dealer and the customer's temporarily visit in the U.S., not moving here, they don't have to register. It's a limited registration, but it's not really registration. Agents of the broker-dealers have to register in the States, right? Anywhere they have a place of business or a, re a single retail client. They have the same rule, clients on vacation, they don't have to register. It's kind of the same stuff, but just remember, an agent is the individual. So the broker-dealer is the firm. The agent is the individual who works for the firm, and they register. And it's also illegal for a broker dealer to have employ an unregistered agent. They can have unregistered people, but they can't have an agent who's unregistered because they're acting as an agent. They can't be unregistered. So that's true. And remember, no matter what, even if, you know, no, no matter what, a broker dealer will have to register in at least one state and an agent will have to register in at least one state because they got to be working out of somewhere. On that note, if you're ex considered exempt from registering or excluded because of the vacation, you can't be statutory disqualified. So I always say this, to be eligible for an exemption or exclusion, you you have to be eligible to register. So if you're statutory disqualified, which means convicted of any felony or the securities or investment related or taking of money misdemeanors, then you're out for 10 years. You can't register anywhere. Not even if you say, well, I'm exempt. It doesn't matter. I'm excluded. It doesn't matter. Now, one caveat to this. So if So remember something. If you're an agent, and you and you're is selling securities to anyone, okay? And you're selling securities to anyone, any retail customer in the state. You're an agent of a broker dealer, and you're selling any security in the state. You have to register. It doesn't matter if the security is exempt or not. You are selling it. You have to register. So I tell everyone, and I'm going to come up with an exception to this: whether security is exempt or not has nothing to do with you, okay? This, if it's exempt, the security doesn't register, but you have to. You sell an exempt transaction, the security doesn't register, but you have to. Unless you work for the issuer. Doesn't mean you work for, it means you do not work for the broker dealer, you work for the issuer. Like a Tesla, a municipality, New York City, whatever it is, a bank. Then if you work for the issuer and it's exempt, you don't have to register. Now, the books are going to go crazy about there's only certain kind of exempt transactions that do this. Not on the test. It's going to be much more straightforward. If you're an agent of an issuer and you're doing exempt securities or exempt transactions, you're exempt securities, meaning you work for a bank and you're selling bank stock, you won't have to register. But if you work for a bank, well, let's say you work for a, something on the stock exchange, that's exempt. So if you're selling no shares, you're exempt. But if you're selling like munis, then you would have to register. So it's literally you're selling your own shares. You're an agent of your issuer selling your stuff, which is exempt then you would not have to register. But again, as a broker, if you're working for a broker dealer, you would. So let me use this example. You work for a broker dealer. You work for Edward Jones. Your twin brother or sister works for New York City. You're both selling New York City bonds. You have to register. Your twin doesn't. You work for the broker dealer. You have to register. Your twin who works for the 
exempt issuer does not. Keep going on. So I'm an agent of a broker dealer. I reg I have to register in any state I do business in. I do the U4. It's 30 days. They're going to do my background stuff. They cannot deny me for lack of experience, but they absolutely can deny me for lack of knowledge. Or if I'm suspended, just like all the other ones, if I'm suspended in another, if I'm currently suspended in another state, to be registered, to be either exempt or to register, I have to be eligible to register, which means I can't have a court order barring me from business. I can't have a, a third party barring me like the SEC. I can't have been a conviction of violating federal securities laws, all that. So again, I can be I can be denied for lack of paying a fee if I have a um if I'm suspended in another state. The bankruptcy thing they keep talking about. But my thing is, how does an agent, how does a human being become bankrupt? They file for bankruptcy protection. They're not bankrupt. Yes, broker dealers bankrupt can't register. Agents can. So if you're affecting transactions or managing or supervising those that do, you are considered an agent and you have to register. Again, if you are doing transactions, acting as an agent, or supervising those that do, you are a considered an agent. Okay, so let's go through this. So if firm, a broker dealer is a firm, Okay, not an individual. They affect transactions for themselves or others. They earn commissions, markup, markdown. What is not a definite? What is not a broker dealer? Agents, issuers, banks, broker dealers with no office in the state, no office, no retail, no register. Okay. Um, record keeper. They have record keeper requirements. What's an agent? An agent is an individual that works for a broker dealer. They register at FINRA in the state. So that's a good one. Broker dealers register SEC, FINRA, and the state. Agents register FINRA in the state. Interesting. So and remember, SEC does not register individuals. Remember that. The SEC does not register individuals. So I'll go into later on the reasons why an a administrator would deny an application because they're kind of the same for both broker-dealers, agents, IAs, and IARs. Let's, we'll get into that. On this one.